How many of you know that people learn in different ways? People learn in really different ways. Universities and colleges have spent so much time and effort and money trying to understand the different teaching techniques and the different strategies that are out there to teach people, and there are more than we can even begin to imagine. And through the years, they have been refined, and they've been studied, and they've been improved upon. And so now, the way that they teach in schools is very different than it used to be when I was a kid. But as I was thinking about it this week, and as I focused on it a little bit, it seemed to me that when it comes to learning, there are basically two models that everything boils down to. If you want to teach, or if you want to get a particular behavior from someone, There is a positive model, and in this model, it's the model where we model the behaviors that we want to see developed. We model the behaviors that we want to see mimic in the person that we are teaching. And then, kids, there is the negative model. There is the negative model. And this is the model where we model behaviors that we do not want to see followed or mimicked, right? We model behaviors that we do not want to see developed. And people have taught by using these two models forever. This is something that we've done from the very beginning of time. In fact, if you go back to the time of Christ, you remember in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus uses this model as he instructs the disciples on prayer, doesn't he? I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll just read through there really quickly. In verse 5, this is what Jesus says. He was addressing the disciples and the Pharisees. He says, when you pray... I love this. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And he's talking about the Pharisees here. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Here's a great example of what you do not do. Now go down to verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. This is the Gentiles. This is unbelievers. As those who don't know God do. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. But what? Do not be like them. Don't do that. And if you go down to verse 16, also Jesus says this. And when you fast... Do not go around looking gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. He says, don't do that. This is a perfect example of the things that I do not want you to do. So here, Jesus is using the negative model. And he says, you see the way these people are doing it? You see the way that these Pharisees, that these hypocrites do things? This is the perfect model for you to follow to not do what I want you to do. So what you see them do, do the opposite of that, and you'll be on the right track. Did you know that I sometimes use this model with my kids? And I know that you all do this as well. And I I probably have told you this before, but for example, I can remember when they were young, and maybe I should just ask, how many of you have ever been in a public place and you've heard a toddler who was just completely out of control? Have you ever been there? You've been in the grocery store and this kid is just screaming and he's throwing stuff and he's just throwing a fit right there in front of God and everybody. Maybe he's, you know, fighting with his siblings. Maybe he's just running around the store completely out of the control of his parents. How did that make you feel? Did it make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? Kind of makes you feel like you want to leave the store. Sometimes it even makes you feel a little bit embarrassed for the parents, doesn't it? And I can remember as my kids were little and when they were toddlers, we would go to stores and when we saw this, I thought, you know, this is really a great opportunity for me to teach my children. And it sounded like this, Sam, Maddie Jr., do you see the way that little boy is acting over there? Don't you ever (laughs) act like that in a public place, right? 
So I was instructing my children from the negative model. You see the way that little boy is behaving? That's a perfect example of what you will never do on a public place unless you want trouble, right? And so my children learned based on a standard, based on negative behavior that had been modeled for them by someone who was wrong. Do you get that? And that's a great way to teach. But then there's the positive side. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to show you Jesus' instruction again when we're in Matthew 6 and verse 6. This is what he says. But on the other hand, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who's in secret will hear you and he'll reward you. So don't pray like these guys. Pray like this. Do you see it? So here's the positive model. Let's go down to verse 9. Pray then like this. Not with many words, but pray like this. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know this. Thy kingdom come, and on and on he goes. He gave them a model of how they should pray. And then if you go down to verse 17, this is what he says. When you fast, don't act like those guys, but on the other hand, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others. Have you ever known anyone who's told you, oh, oh man, I've been going through this Daniel fast and I just... Have you ever heard that? That's a perfect example of what you're not supposed to do, right? The Bible says, wash your face, clean yourself up, make yourself look presentable, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, He will reward you. Do you want the reward of me saying, wow, that's awesome, man, you you look terrible because you're going through this. Or would you rather have blessing from God? So Jesus here is saying, don't do it like this negatively, but positively, I want you to do it like this. So here he models a positive model. Now, kids, this is the way that you should behave, right? Do you see that? The positive model says, this is the way that you should behave. And so then, after he tells you the positive model, and he tells you the way that you should behave, then he tells you what the reward is, or what the payoff is for doing it that way. Do you see this? Son, here are the things that you should do, right? You see that little boy over there? Don't you ever do that. But, on the other hand, when we're in public, you behave yourself like a gentleman. You don't scream and you don't shout, but you're courteous, you're polite, you prefer other people. That's how we teach our kids, right? The negative and then the positive. Both are good. They're both very good. And you need both of them, but you can't use one too much. You cannot err on either side. And that's what we do. That's how we teach our kids. We use the positive, we use the negative. Well, as we come to our passage today in Ephesians chapter 4, this is what you're going to see from the Apostle Paul, and you're going to see a lot of this as we move forward now through the book of Ephesians. Paul has just told all of us of our great privilege and our position before Christ as he's communicated the practices which are to characterize godly people. You remember we discussed that? And now, just to lay the groundwork a little bit, I'm going to take you back to verse 1 before we get to our passage for today, which will be found in verses 17 to 24. And I'm going to take you back to verse 1, and I just want to lay a little bit of the the groundwork for you. So back in verse 1, this is what happens. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Do you remember that? I urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And as we discussed when we were there, you'll remember that I introduced you to the Greek word peripateo, which means to walk around or to just to walk about. And so Paul is saying this is a matter of the way that we conduct ourselves in everyday lives. It's a matter of the way that we walk around in life and the way that we live our lives. He's telling us this. He's saying... 
people of your position should not act like people of the world. Do you hear? People of your position should not act like people of the world. We are not people of this world. We do not belong to this current order. We do not belong to this current cosmos. Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. We are not people of this world. We are not people of this order. Our minds should not be set on the things of this world. We should walk around. We should peripateo in this world as people whose home is in heaven. We should walk around as people whose minds are somewhere else. Not, not, I'm not saying that you walk around completely clueless and running into light poles and stuff like that. But what I'm saying is your mind should be focused on heavenly things. In 1 John 2, John says... Do not love the things of this world. This world and its desires, friends, are passing away. The desires of this world are passing away. Why would you focus your attention on them? Why would you focus the effort to love them? Now, I'm going to take you to our passage for today where Paul picks up where he left off in verse 2 and we're going to begin for today. And this is what he says in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk, this is that peripateo again, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. You must no longer walk or conduct yourselves as those who do not believe in the futility of your minds. He says, I urge you to walk around in a way that is worthy of your calling. Here, Paul is using the negative model. You see this? He's using the negative model. Well, what does that look like, Paul? What does it look like for me to walk around in a way that is worthy of my calling? Well, Paul says this. This is where he's going. He's saying, you see those people over there? Don't act like that. They are the perfect example of what you should not do. And so he's giving us the negative model that he does not want us to follow. That's what he's doing here. Now, in this verse, in verse 17, the word Gentiles here simply means people who don't know God. And if you need a reference for that, you can go to 1 Thessalonians 4. He uses that, I believe it's in verse 5, in the same way. He calls them Gentiles who do not know God. So that's what he's referring to in this passage, people who don't know God. Now, so he's saying that he does not want us, he does not want people, of your privileged position to be walking around conducting themselves like people who do not know God. That's the point. You see what I'm saying? Okay, stay with me. Okay, Paul. So how do those people conduct themselves? If you don't want me to act like them, what is it in particular that you don't want me to do? Well, I would tell my kids, I don't want you to scream when we're in a public place. I don't want you to throw things. I don't want you to be rude. And so Paul says, okay, let me tell you what it looks like. And so in verse 17, he says, they walk around in the futility of their minds. That's their problem. They walk around in the futility of their minds. And so I want to take a minute and I just want to introduce you to this word futility. It's, it's really important that we understand this. And it's the word matayas. So the word matayas, and this is what it means. It means empty, it means vain, or it means useless. So he says these people of the world walk around and their minds are matayas. They're vain, they're useless, they're empty. There's nothing of value. There's nothing of real import in their minds. And you've heard this word used before when you heard someone say to you, you should not take the name of the Lord, what? In vain. That's exactly what it means. You think about that command. What the command says is you are not to use the name of the Lord. You're not to use the name of God in a way that is empty, meaningless, or useless. You see? 
Matthias. It's Matthias. And we don't use the name of God lightly. We don't use the name of God in a way that means absolutely nothing. So let me just ask, is it a violation of that command for our kids and for our adults to walk around saying, oh my God, do you think that's a violation of that command? Do what you want with that. I'm just asking. Or what about this? Is it a violation of that command for us to pray saying, dear Lord, our heavenly God, we bless thee, our dear God, Lord. Once again, are we using that name with no import? You can do what you want with that. It's an empty, it's a meaningless use of the name of God that's a problem. We don't use it as though it's empty or meaningless. Now I want to move on, okay? Kids, listen. We should not use the name of God in a way that is meaningless. When we use the name of God, it must mean something. We don't use the name of God in a way that's meaningless. So, listen. The mind, Paul says, of people who do not know God is matayas. It's useless. It's meaningless. It's worthless. It's empty. Well, what do you mean, Paul? What is it about their minds that is matayas? And so to answer that, what I'm going to do, rather than going to verse 18, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 19, and then I'm going to take you back to 18 and show you the results of it. So let's go now to verse 19, and I want you to see what it is. Verse 19 says, well, they have become callous, and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to participate in every kind of impurity. So to help us understand that, I want to give you just a little bit of a background or a little bit of a history of the city of Ephesus, if I could, the city in Asia Minor where this little church was located. Now, the city of Ephesus was a great commercial center. It was one of the greatest commercial centers in all of the Roman Empire. And it was located almost on the Aegean Sea, just east of Greece. It was booming. It was an absolutely booming city. It was booming in trade. It was booming in culture. It had a really large art museum in it. And they thought of themselves as very cultured people. And at the very center of this city... At the very center of this huge metropolis was the temple of Artemis. Now, this temple was so huge, this temple was so ornate, kids, that the temple of Artemis is one of the seven wonders of the world. Did you know that? That was in the middle of the city of Ephesus, and it is currently one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple of Artemis. But listen to this. Within roughly a one-quarter mile radius around the temple of Artemis, was what was known as a sanctuary or a king's ex for criminals. Do you know what that means? What it meant was that it was a sanctuary for these people who were thugs and a sanctuary for people who were criminals. And so what would happen is criminals would flee to the temple of Artemis because they knew that as long as they were within a one-quarter mile radius of the temple of Artemis, they could not be persecuted, they could not be chased down, they couldn't be hunted, and they had to be left alone. So they would come from all over the Roman Empire, and they filled the city of Ephesus. Violently, passionately, seeking their own lusts. They wanted everything that they wanted. They're just like people today, right? And so these criminals would all gather around, and this temple then became filled with some pretty rough people. It became filled with some people who were pretty seasoned criminals. And so what happened was that the rituals and the religious practices that accompanied that kind of people who would have been at the temple of Artemis, you can understand what that would have looked like. And you can understand why the worship at the temple of Artemis was exceptionally gross. And because the children are here this morning, I'm not going to go too deeply into the details, but let it be enough for you to know that there was every single kind of sexual perversion and indecency that you could imagine. In fact, As I was reading through this, I found that the Greek philosopher Heraclitus said that the morals of the people of the city of Ephesus 
were lower than the morals of animals. And he said that the people of the city of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. That's what Heraclitus said about the people of the city of Ephesus. And so Paul uses very, very strong language to refer to these people, obviously, because it was a filthy, vile city. And he says of them that they have so passionately and they have with such abandon pursued their own desires. They have struggled with their own desires being fulfilled and they have so passionately pursued them that their behavior has become completely outrageous. Their behavior has become completely and entirely depraved. They are violently and they are passionately licentious. They are violently and they are passionately gross. They have a pattern of giving themselves over to absolutely every desire that they ever have. If I have a desire, I'm going to fulfill it. That's what they did. And so one choice after another, after another, after another, they satisfied themselves until they reached the point where they could no longer be satisfied. So to find satisfaction, friends, this is important, listen. To find satisfaction, they had to go a little bit further and a little bit further, and a little bit further, deeper into debauchery, deeper into violence, deeper into behavior that was more and more shocking all the time. You see, they want what they want. And they don't care what anybody else thinks about it. They want what they want, and they don't care who they have to violate to get what they want. They've developed an insatiable appetite. They're hungry. Paul says they're greedy. They are greedy to do sensuality. They're greedy to practice every kind of evil that they can come up with, every kind of impurity. They're greedy to get there. And so they've developed this insatiable appetite and have become greedy, according to verse 19, to practice every kind of evil. Can you understand that? Think about this. As I was preparing for this morning, as I was working my way through the filthy mindset of these people who have absolutely no shame, I want you to know that I thought of some of the role models of our children, and I couldn't help but see that same pattern there. I can think right now of several people who once appeared to be innocent, young adolescent stars on the Disney Channel, who now have become so vile that they no longer seem to have any shame at all. They walk around in lingerie, parading themselves before absolutely everybody in the world. They take some of the most vile thoughts that they can imagine in their minds and they put them to music and then they sing them to some kind of a catchy tune that your kids listen to and they fill their minds with that day in and day out. It makes me think of some of the things that our police officers must see. I think some of those who are so violently hungry for money, so violently passionate for drugs or for power that they become traffickers of other human beings... No matter how violently they treat their victims, they can't get enough. They can't be violent enough. They don't care what they're doing to other people. They don't care what they're doing to other families. They don't care how shocking their behavior is. All they want is to satisfy themselves. That's all they're after. They become more and more violent, become more and more cruel all the time. I think about people who are chemically addicted who don't care whose lives they're destroying trying to find the satisfaction of their addiction. They don't really care. They're willing to steal from family. They're willing to steal from their friends. They're willing to rob others at gunpoint 
to get money to satisfy themselves. And in many cases, they'll even sell their own bodies to perverted people, to perverse sexual desires of other people so that they can get what they want. They are willing to lie. They're willing to do anything that they can to get what they want. We could talk about people who are so violently hungry for fame, people who are so violently hungry for power that they don't care whose lives they destroy to get it. They'll lie about other people as well. They lose every ounce of integrity that they've ever had to get and maintain power because they're so passionately hungry for it. And listen, it's this kind of greedy passion for the fulfillment of whatever sensuality that we seek that causes us to lose all sense of modesty. It causes us to lose all sense of embarrassment. Have you ever seen people walking around and felt embarrassed for them? And thought, how can you do that? Have you no shame? Have you reached the point where nothing embarrasses you anymore? We don't care. We only want what we want, and we want it right now. We don't want to wait. It doesn't matter the cost. It doesn't matter what happens to my friends. It doesn't matter what happens to my family. It doesn't matter what happens to my marriage. I want what I want, and I want it right now. I'll do anything I have to to get it. It's important that we understand how people get to that point. Do you know that you don't just wake up one day and become a violently and passionately licentious and immoral person? You don't just wake up one day and become that person. It's the product of a series of choices. Bad behavior is a choice. Bad behavior is a choice. You choose to act poorly. And we make a choice to give ourselves over to certain behaviors. And when we do that, then we choose to do it again because we enjoyed it so much last time. Only this time, we have to go just a little bit further because it doesn't feel as good as I thought it would. And so now I become a little bit more perverse. And I come a little bit more corrupt. And I go a little bit further and a little bit further. I choose it again. I choose it again. And each time I'm becoming more and more desensitized. Do you understand? The more I go down that road, the more calloused I become until ultimately it causes what we see in verse 18. And I want to take you there and let you see that now. It says that they are darkened in their understanding. That's what happened. They have gone so far and they become so desensitized and so callous that in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to what? Due to the hardening of their hearts. They're ignorant because they have allowed their hearts to become callous and to become sclerose, to allow them to become hard and, and stiff and unbending and unyielding. So through repeatedly choosing to give themselves over to sensuality, through repeatedly giving themselves over to impurity, the sinner becomes hardened in his heart. And it always makes me think of Pharaoh. How many of you remember the story of Pharaoh uh, during the time of the Exodus? You remember that God sent Moses to Pharaoh to tell him, hey, I want you to let my people go. Release God's people from slavery. And so through Moses, he warned Pharaoh with plagues and everything else. And so plague after plague after plague, he warned Pharaoh. But as he was faced with all of these miraculous signs, as Pharaoh was facing all of these miraculous plagues and these signs, the Bible tells us that every single time, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh refused to let the Israelites go. Think about this. 
Plague after plague, sign after sign, Pharaoh hardened his heart, he hardened his heart, he hardened his heart, making choice after choice to ignore the warning from God until finally, in chapter 9, God says, it tells us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Time and time and time again, you have chosen to ignore the warning of God, you have hardened your heart, and God said, okay, now your heart is hard. If that's the way you want it, If that's the way you want it, that's the way it's going to be. And so in an act of judgment, God says, that's it for you. Your heart is now hard. And I want you to know that that's the way it is for us, friends. If we insist on giving ourselves over to sensuality and impurity, ultimately, when we insist on having our own way, at some point, God finally will say, if that's the way you want it, you can have it. If that's the way you want it, that's the way it's going to be. And then we become fixed in our sin. We become fixed in our passion. And God passes judgment on us and our hearts become hardened and our spiritual eyes become darkened and our understanding is darkened so that we no longer have the ability to see any spiritual light. We become fixed in our ignorance. We become fixed in our alienation from God. I want to take a minute to just share a warning with you if I could. Friends, if you're here this morning and you know that you're flirting around and playing with, and entertaining sin in your life, if you know that you're deliberately choosing to give yourself over to some form of sensuality or impurity, I want you to know that you're choosing day by day, choice by choice, to allow your heart to become callous and to allow your heart to become more and more hard day in, day out as you make every single choice. I don't know what form of sensuality it may be, I don't know what form of desire it may be that's welling up in your heart. Maybe it's a series of impure or lustful thoughts and you keep going back to them when nobody else can see you and you dwell on them and you mull them over in your mind and you think, nobody knows what I'm doing. And yet you go back there and you play with it and you mull it over in your mind and you refuse to repent from it. I want you to know that you're hardening your hearts. Maybe you have an attitude of hatred towards someone in your life. And you just keep stewing on how they treated you. And you keep focusing on the wrong that they did for you and you mull it over and you go back there and you chew on it and you think of it over and over and over again. I want you to know that you're making yourself more callous and you're hardening your hearts. Maybe you have some form of chemical that you know that you should not be playing around with, but you keep entertaining it. You keep playing with it. You keep thinking, nobody else knows what I'm doing. I can control it. I've got it all under control. And you keep entertaining it and you go back to it. I want you to know, drink after drink, pill after pill, whatever it is, you're hardening yourself. You're becoming more and more and more calloused. And at some point, you may find that God says, if that's the way you want it, that's the way you can have it. That's the way it'll be. And you'll become fixed in your disobedience. You'll become fixed in your sensuality. And you'll find yourself fixed in your sinfulness. Young people, I want to warn you in relationships. If you're choosing to spend time building relationships with people who do not know God, you are opening the door for this to begin to happen in your life. They will entertain you with things that guide your mind to think about ungodly things. They will encourage you to laugh at things that are gross and sinful and what will happen is you'll begin to have your heart desensitized to the things of God joke by joke, laugh after laugh, 
choice after choice, wrong friend after wrong friend, your heart will be made desensitive to the things of God. And if you pursue it, and if you continue to chase it long enough, your heart can actually become callous. We should build godly relationships. We should build godly relationships. If you're in a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex, even if that person is a believer, I want you to be careful that your contact with that person does not become a passion that's out of control. You see it all the time, and maybe you think that I'm, maybe you think I'm out of my mind, but I'm telling you, you see it all the time. It starts by two young people holding hands, and the next thing you know, holding hands just isn't quite enough to satisfy the desire. And the next thing you know, they move on to the next form of intimate contact, which often presents itself in the form of kissing or something else. But from there, the contact becomes more and more intimate. It becomes more and more sensual. And I want you to know that if that's what you're doing, you need to stop playing around with it because you are opening the door for your heart to become desensitized to the challenge of the Holy Spirit. And you're allowing your heart to become callous to the instruction of the Word of God. And your relationship, which may have been perfectly healthy to begin with, will develop into one that is perverse and sinful. And then right there... In the middle of that filthy, violent, perverted city was a fledgling church. Right there in the middle of all of the filth and all of the crud, there was this church that Paul had recently launched. And you can imagine that most of the people who were part of that church would walk out the doors and at one time they had worshipped at the temple of Artemis and as they walked past the temple of Artemis they would see the people that they had known before. They had been doing evil and perverted and violently passionate things and they were seeking their own desires and as they walked out into the streets they saw all of the people and all of the things that reminded them of that way of life. Every time they walked down the streets they saw the same people. They saw the same temptations which they used to entertain and it kept calling them back to a life of filthiness. Come on back. It was a lot of fun when you were doing these things. And Paul said to them in verse 20, that is not the way you learned Christ. That is not the way you learned Christ. That's the old life. That's the way things used to be. That's the way you used to do things when you went to the temple of Artemis. But that's not how you came to know Jesus Christ. You do not continue in the patterns of life that you learned when you were at the temple of Artemis. When you have come to Christ, you leave those things behind and you have a new pattern of life. The way that the world does things is not how you do things if you are in Christ. James said in chapter 4 and verse 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Listen, if it's your desire to be friendly and affectionate with the world and just play around as close to the fire as you can possibly get, to walk around doing all the things that the world does, and you're at odds, I want you to know that you're at odds with God. If that's what you're doing, it's enmity with God. And you're arguing with God and you're fighting with God. If you claim that you love God, you don't walk around doing the things that the world does. If you love God, you don't do the things that the world does. Your pattern of life is different from that of the rest of the world. The patterns of the love of the world and the patterns of the love of God are not compatible with one another. You must leave one to live in the other. You can't do both. Paul says in verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on this new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's how you're supposed to live. 
You see those people over there? Don't act like that anymore. On the other hand, begin to act like this. The Bible tells us that when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you became a new creation. Do you know that? When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, the old has passed away. And behold, the Bible says, all things have become new in 2 Corinthians 5. You've been washed and you've been cleansed and everything for you is brand new. Your mind has been transformed. Kids, Christians should not behave like people who don't know God. Christians should not behave like people who don't know God. Sometimes on the weekend, I like to go outside and do yard work. And when I do that, I'll put on my grubby jeans and I'll put on a grubby shirt. And I may start by gathering sticks up, walking around the yard, picking up sticks that have fallen off the trees, and I'll carry them up the hill, and I'll set them on fire. And as I'm setting them on fire, the smell of the smoke fills my clothes, and I smell like a campfire. And then maybe I'll go down the hill, and I'll take the lawnmower out of my garage, and I'll lay down on the grass, or usually on the driveway. And I want to make sure that I grease the spindles on my mower. I want to make sure that I you know, grease the axles, I grease the drive shaft, take good care of it. I want to change the oil, maybe. And while I'm doing that, I'm laying on the concrete, and my clothes get dirty. So now they smell like smoke. They're covered in dirt from the driveway. I get grease on them. I get oil on them. Sometimes it gets on my face. And maybe I'll walk around the yard picking up after the dogs. Or maybe I'll rake some leaves. And then like every, like every man, I like to fire up my chainsaw. Right, guys? And I like to get out there and, you know, sometimes I'm cutting down trees and I think, well, that one was really pretty healthy. <laughs> but, I just, man, I love the sawdust flying everywhere. And so I get it all over my clothes and it's in my hair and now my face is covered in grease from the lawnmower and I've got sawdust everywhere. I smell like smoke and like I've been cleaning up after the dogs. All the while, my clothes becoming dirtier and smellier and I'm sweaty. And so you imagine what it looks like, right? And then at the end of the day, I look forward to going into the house and taking a shower. And my wife looks forward to me doing that too. But my clothes are so dirty that sometimes I take them off in the garage because I don't want to track all the dirt and the crud in the house. And my kids will tell you that's true. Dad, put your clothes on. <laughs> then I take a nice hot shower. And after I take a shower and I've cleaned myself up and made myself smell great, do you know what I do? I go out to the garage and I put my dirty clothes back on. I wouldn't do that, would I? Is that foolish? Why would I go out to the garage and put on dirty clothes? Why would I put on all the things that smelled like what I've been doing all day? Why would I go out and put all the crud back on? And that's not how you have learned Christ either. Take off the dirty clothes. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, that's how you used to live. You used to run around all the time seeking every single fulfillment of your own desires that you could get your hands on. But now that you have been cleansed, now that you have been clean, now that you have taken a spiritual shower, why are you going out to the garage and putting on all the dirty clothes again? What's the matter with you? Don't act like those people. Don't walk around like the people who are still doing yard work. You just took a shower. Act like somebody who's clean. That's what Paul is saying. Walk around with minds that are clean. Walk around with minds that don't smell like the dog. Walk around with thoughts that are pure. You see those people over there at the temple of Artemis? Don't you ever act like those people. Rather, put on new clothes that are fitting of people in your position and walk around like people who have taken a bath. That's what you need to do. 
So that's the negative side. And next week, if you come back, I'm going to show you the positive side. And I'm going to show you what it should look like for you to put on new clothes. Father, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you that you're patient with me. I thank you that you remember that you formed me from the dust of the ground. And so, Lord, I repent of all the passions and all the lusts and all the desires that I allow to control me. And I pray that you would break those chains in my life through the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit, that you may set me free and that I could live a life and walk around in this world conducting myself in a way that brings glory and honor to your great name. That's what I pray. Lord, I pray that the people at Root River Church would not be people whose lifestyles are indistinguishable from all of the people outside of this building and all the people of the world, but that we would be people who live lives that are a light to a world trapped in darkness and in the futility of their own minds.